This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Vegas.com. I've been uh, told by the boardwalk higher-ups that people are upset about my ad reads, uh, both fans and uh, companies alike. They say... Sometimes I'm a little too uh sometimes I'm a little too vulgar. Sometimes I'm a little too fast in the ad read, sometimes I'm a little too slow. Getting all kinds of notes. Uh so in um in a in a kind of a protest here, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the ad, just the ad read, no jokes, nothing else. So Vegas.com has got the best deals in Las Vegas hotels of every type to help you find the perfect room that will fit your budget. Next. Looking for a cheap stay in a clean cubby? No problem. How about suites of epic grandeur and luxury Las Vegas resorts? Yep, got them, too. Yeah, next. Before you make your Las Vegas hotel reservations, read hotel reviews from people who've actually stayed there. So you'll know you're making the right choice. Next. Acrobats, divas, magicians, jokesters, showgirls, and puppets. <laughs> wow. The new the new lions, tigers, bears, oh my. There are so many shows in Las Vegas that you can't possibly take them all in. But there's not a doubt you'll find something that'll blow you away. Good thing Vegas.com has tickets to all of them. Need help finding the best things to do in Las Vegas? Vegas.com knows what you want, and we've got it. Roller coasters, check. You know those famous roller coasters in Las Vegas? The uh, the ones that everyone goes to Las Vegas to go on, the roller coasters? Machine gun shooting ranges, yep. Zip lines, we've got multiples. <laughs> we've got more than one. Uh, Zipline. Free attractions? We've got those too. Don't you love those free attractions? I love to be asked, do you want to go see a free attraction? Uh, Vegas is the place to do what you would never do at home, and we're going to help you do it. Vegas.com offers the best package deals on Las Vegas vacations with more than 400 airlines from 1,700 departure cities, plus world class Vegas resorts, so we can help you create a great vacation package at the best price. And booking your flight and hotel room together can help you save on the entire package. Well, that's uh, that's the ad read. I guess I did make fun of it a little bit, which is probably going to get me in trouble here. But uh, this is how I'm going to read ads from now, just monotone voice, making a couple jokes. I'm a little hungover, which is probably why I sound more monotone than usual. But that's it. So find the best deals on hotels and trips to Vegas, and listeners will save even more by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash Vegas. That's boardwalkaudio.com slash Vegas. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast with the business craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button, shop on Amazon, like Earlywood, we get a little kickback. We're continuing our month of the same sketch pitch with Josh Comers. He's a stand-up who's written for Conan, The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Triumph Selection Watch, and many Comedy Central roasts, including the most recent one, Bruce Willis. He's a really funny guy, and he has some really nice insights about Conan and about roast and kind of about comedy near the end. And uh, it was a good, it was a fun chat. So here is Josh Comers. Uh, Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Alan. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm a uh, South Jersey boy. Okay. It makes it sound like I'm from the country, but uh, yeah, so uh, sort of in the shadow of Philly. I thought it made it sound like you were one of the Jersey boys. Uh, in another life, I may have been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, did, were you into comedy like at a young age? There, 
Um, yeah, yeah. I think I was into comedy for um, for a long time. Uh, I think my, I think the first thing, the first exposure I got that I can remember is my dad uh, on Sundays they would run old uh, Abbott and Costello uh, movies and old Marx Brothers movies, and uh, I actually, and I think that was like my first exposure to like comedy and jokes and the timing of it all. And I still actually will go back and watch Marx Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't go back and watch Abbott and Costello. I, I watched Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, I think, recently. Is that- oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, they uh, met a lot of people on their journey. Right. <laughs> the mummy. The- uh, How was it? Uh, it was bad. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. good. But I also watched, uh, what's the one with uh, the Marx Brothers one where they're, um, where they're like, it's like the, the, the dictator one? Oh, oh, uh not horse feathers. No, you know what? I I always get the names mixed yeah. up. Yeah, horse feathers. No, uh, jeez, I can't remember. I watched that one though. Yeah, and that that was not bad. No, no, the first. I think the first uh, half of their catalog, I guess, uh, they're great movies. And then because I did this thing a few years ago where I watched them in order, and the quality goes downhill. And I think it had to do with changing studios and budgets, but. You know, whereas, you know, going through doors were a big part, mixed up with doors, like kind of slapsticky um, hijinks uh, was a big part of their thing. Then it was a part, I'm sorry, I should say it was a part of their routines. It became like in later ones. So when the budget was slashed, it seems like the whole movie was door Mm. gags, you know, Mm. like they just, it all take, took place in like one room and Mm. yeah. The one I saw had the, the mirror gag. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, with Harpo. Yeah, no, that's a famous. That's a famous. It, uh, it's like five minutes. It's long. Yeah, which and is you know, like insane. It, it, it works. Yeah. Oh yeah, it does. And a lot of. But I was struck recently watching some of those movies. How much of it was wordplay? I mean, they were both. They were all entertaining, and there was a lot of physical stuff. But a lot of it, and I like, and I like wordplay. I don't. Uh, I'm not a um, not a uh, wordplay hater, but. Uh, uh, I was a little struck by how much they leaned on that, um, but it was, you know, still funny. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I guess, my first exposure. And uh, were you like doing any like uh, comedy, like performance stuff growing up? No, it was not. Uh, it didn't even seem like there was any option short of like joining a drama club. And yeah. I was kind of like a, I don't know, it's kind of like a dopey student. I didn't really <laughs> participate in much uh, extracurricular, let alone. <laughs> you know, drama clubs. Were you, were you like a class clown at all or anything? You know, I do think one, like the seed was planted in my head. Someone saying like, you know, more than one person, I should say, saying, you're, yeah, you're funny. And I think that only encouraged me to be like disruptive. But I never had the juice to be like the class clown. Like I think uh, in junior high, there was like a class clown uh, award, you know, and I, and, you know, people were, a few people came up and be like, you're going to win this, you're going to win this. And then I wasn't even like, nominated it's like, oh, <laughs> good uh it's a good preview for the rest of my career uh no uh yeah so i mean I, yeah i was i was silly and funny in class but so the superlatives are weird i didn't have superlatives at my school so i always find it odd to hear about um i don't know it just sounds so strange to me do, do the kids vote for it um oh uh, gosh i don't i think they do <laughs> i think they did uh yeah, I mean, you know, so it was sort of a popularity contest. I mean, I'm sure the guy that won isn't isn't doing shit with his comedy <laughs> chops these days. Uh, 
So when you were going to college, did you know what you wanted to do? You know, I, I knew what I wanted to do in high school, actually, as early as high school. Mm-hmm. Those pauses will be me taking a sip of water because it's like 100 <laughs> degrees out and muggy. Hot New York City days. Yeah, it's disgusting. August, uh, not New York. Um, so, uh, okay, what was the question? I'm going to, uh, sorry. Um, oh, what you wanted to do? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's because I was such a, like a, you know, a poor student without any kind of discipline or or the kind of parents that could put you on a path. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I would, I would kind of get, you know, I don't know. I would, I would, uh, I found like, well, shit, the only thing I'm good at is once in a while making people laugh. And then what happened is like Comedy Central, I think the precursor to Comedy Central maybe was like the Han Network. I'm sure I'm dating myself here, but uh, this came on and this showed like stand-ups on television. Now the stand-up, bef- the only stand-up you could catch on TV before that was like, uh, was like, Eddie Murphy and Delirious or Steve Martin, you know, they'd be playing these big stadiums and arenas and that didn't seem like possible. That was, I couldn't, you know, I was never one to dream that big, but then this network comes on that would show like two minute clips of, of different comedians, like in New York and you'd hear like glasses clanging and, 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 you know, jokes getting, you know, titters, but not like, big laughs and there was a brick wall and I was like oh I can do that like I might be able to do this but it was still like it was still like something that I it was just so unheard of like like I didn't have anybody anybody in the family or I didn't know anybody who was doing anything in in entertainment it was just so remote um in New York while well, we lived in New Jersey even New York was just like might as well have been a foreign land we made a couple family trips up there but that was not much to make me feel comfortable with it or even familiar. So I, I, I think that made me feel like I can, maybe, maybe I, I can do that. So I actually like, I mean, in my teens, I, I started writing, I kept it a secret and I remember just like, this is going to sound really silly, but like, uh, probably what a lot of kids do today in the mirror. Like I would, uh, I would actually tell my jokes into the mirror and I would put on a, I would put on a, the one blazer, the sport jacket that I owned. <laughs> and you know, uh, uh, and yeah, I would, I would do those jokes, but I, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. And then when I did, it was like a big coming out. Like, you know, I was with my burnout friends, you know, or like beavis and buttheads smoking dope in, in the basement. And I was like, guys, I want to be a comedian. <laughs> and it was like kind of a lackluster response. Like, huh? Okay. Wait, I mean, all right. Like, uh, then I shoved my notebook slowly back under the couch. <laughs> okay. And then I kept my mouth shut about it for a long time. It's it's weird how, uh, comedy today is so much more in the mainstream, like even in the last like 10 years yes. to where it's not like completely unheard of to say you want to do comedy or something like that. No, that's really been a big change. Like I remember, uh, I'm, I eventually moved to New York in the late nineties to, uh, to, uh, pursue up and, I, I I thought like okay this is this is weird this is different but the conventional path never fell in my lap and like I thought it might it would just arrive and you're gonna be an accountant or you're gonna be do this mm-hmm. but it just it just didn't happen you know and um yeah and and I yeah I felt like uh, oh well I'm doing something kind of cool and different here and my friend these new friends I'm making them too and and now uh. 
not to take away from the talent of, of, you know, younger comics, cause there's a lot of great ones. And, uh, uh, yeah, it just seems like, uh, I can be a lawyer, or I can be a doctor, or I can be a teacher or I can be a comedian, right. you know? And it's, it's, and they go at, and they go in there with such confidence too. And, uh, maybe, maybe they got more love from their parents. Uh, you know, or, uh, I, I don't know. They go in there with such confidence. It's, uh, strange to me but mm-hmm. that's how it is definitely more uh yeah more of a, a legit career path today mm-hmm. calculating and like it's not like like it's going to sound corny but i always felt like since i didn't have that conventional thing i, it, I guess this is kind of my calling you know but now it's just like it's kind of like a legit career path for people who think ahead and yeah yeah it's weird it's very strange yeah it, it is weird and I wish they would feel more insecure about it. But they, <laughs> they don't. They don't. They're comfortable from day one. <laughs> so you started doing uh, stand up in the in the late nineties in uh, in New York. Yeah, let's edit that to say early two thousand. <laughs> um, yeah, I moved up here. Um, yeah, I did, and uh, um, yeah, it was when like I remember uh, I, I started doing this mic at uh, Lower East Side. I made like a baby step. I moved to like North Jersey for a little bit and uh, for like six months and I uh, would come into New York and uh, I just remember this one. Oh no, actually the, no, I, it was a, it was a mic at the uh, stress factory in New Jersey that I would do. And uh, I remember this one guy would be like, uh, man, lower East side, there's this place called surf reality, but man, you don't want to, that's a tough area. And this guy wasn't like a, a pussy. You know, like he was like a, you know, his whole uh, persona was like this, you know, Italian tough guy thing. And, uh, and that, yeah, but that surf reality is one place that I, I started at where it was like a real like freak show. There were like comics doing straight comedy and there were performance artists and uh, musicians. And it was a real, uh, it was a really cool scene. And, you know, and also this is around the time that like, uh, I guess alternative comedy started to uh, break through. Um, yeah. Was the Lower East Side like dangerous back then? Well, yeah. Well, so it wasn't as it wasn't like it is now. Now it's like right, it's yeah, like yeah. obnoxious to go through. Like mm-hmm. it's like you walk. I don't want to go. Have to go there ever on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it wasn't as dangerous as this guy said, but yeah. it was still it was it was still like uh, you know it was still a little it was seedy and definitely had pockets where it was more seedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's strange to think about New York that way because like, I I just moved here very recently. So it's been like very safe, very commercial, you know, very much like yeah. like Times Square used to be like the most dangerous place in America. Oh right? yeah, and now it's like you know Disneyland basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of learned how to do comedy in Times Square actually at this place called Gladys's, um, where I, I, you know, I guess there was a couple ways you can get stage time when you're starting out. You can uh, you can do open mics. And hope to get booked for shows, and that was that was happening. Um, or you can do bringer shows, and I didn't have enough friends for that. And plus, I hate asking people to see me <laughs> or for anything. And bringer uh, shows seem like a scam to me. Well, they certainly are. The only I think I only did a couple in my time, and I did it just because I I needed a tape, yeah. you know, like, and I just didn't know how to get a good one without that, mm. you know. Uh, you know, I wasn't so industrious that I'll start a show and I'll just, you know, so it just seemed like a way to get a tape. But yeah, I, I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't really fall for that. But you know, there are people that did like a ton of those and 
don't know. They kind of did okay after, but yeah, mostly it's it's a it's a total scam to fill seats. But on the other hand, you know, everyone really puts them down. On the other hand, some of these clubs wouldn't survive without them. Right. So might be a necessary evil if you think there should be comedy clubs that are able to exist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, so I, I, I so so yeah, there's there's mics, there's bringer shows, and then there's working like uh, for your stage time. And I would hand out flyers in Times Square every Friday and Saturday night. And this was be, this was when the only other show there was there was um, there was Gladys's and there was Caroline's in Times Square. Now it's like you know there's there's people handing out flyers, getting into fights at you know different clubs, uh, different rooms. But uh, yeah, I mean it was great because I hand I, I handed out flyers for an hour, forty five minutes, an hour before the show, and then I go and do uh, have uh, you know ten minutes of stage time in front of real people. Like it was the road coming to you because I never really mm. wound up doing the road. Um, Mostly because I'm really bad with directions. This is before GPS. I really believe that. I really think that would have made a difference. And that's sad. Um, anyway, yeah. So it was like kind of learned how to get my comedy shop. So I, I probably stayed there too long and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of probably got a little lazy toward the end there with it. Was was handing out flyers like uh, a good job or like a, a bad job? Because um, in my eye, I've never done that before. I'd imagine that'd be like at Times Square being like hell doing that. It it was. I mean, it was. But I also, I don't know. Maybe I uh, look romanticized that time a little bit. Um, I, you know, you you saw like all kinds of walks of life, and I were I would know which crazy people would walk by and what they would do, and who to sort of like just quiet down when they walked by. Like I just kind of like got to know the the, the creatures of the street, and you know, I like I had just nodding relationships with like the woman who sold roses and I watched her go through like two pregnancies. (laughs) Like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it's a crazy, but, and, and I don't know. I didn't, I didn't hate doing it. I felt like I'd rather do this than bring people. And I think it's kind of a fair trade off. Mm. So was, so you you mentioned, so the Times Square crowds, were they more like the tourist types? And so it did, it, so it was like a much different crowd than like your average New York crowd. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, it wasn't like what was happening on the like you know the Lower East Side and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I probably would have done uh, myself some good by um, doing more and on the Lower East Side uh, during those days. But yeah, like I said, I had this Friday. You know, I mean, what you need is stage time if you're going to be a comic. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I had it every Friday and Saturday night. I had that that stage time every week. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I probably should have ventured out more, um, uh, a little from that, but yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, I mean, you know, everyone, sometimes people roll their eyes when they, you know, who, who know of this room, uh, Gladys is a bit of a character, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it gave me valuable stage time and I think I, I learned how to do stand up mm-hmm. there. So you started doing stand up. Uh, when do you start getting in, uh, involved with writing? Okay. Well, well, here's the thing. I never even thought about writing. Like it wasn't like I moved to New York again. I was so naive. Like, I'm just like, all right, I'm going to do stand up, and I don't know what else to do. And I I can't. So moved to New York, but like writing wasn't even a thought in my head. I didn't know anybody who wrote. And now like, you know, now people, you know, that's definitely even, even more than being stand up. That seems like a legit um, path for people. And you know, every class, every, every college has improv and comedy writing classes probably. Um, But I think, you know, I, I kind of struggle with stand up for 
you know, over a decade. And by struggle, I mean, I just did, you know, I, I think I got better, but I didn't really get anywhere. Um, and then I started seeing friends get jobs at like The Daily Show, you know, and uh, people that I, comics that I knew getting jobs at different places. Like I remember, uh, you know, hearing about this, uh, you know, Andy Blitz, who's a really great writer and comic, getting a job at Conan, you know, and uh, I was like, oh, wow, I, yeah, I kind of know that dude. That's that's crazy. He's going to write for Conan? Uh, so it just kind of slowly seeped into my mind that was an option. And then when, uh, I had a friend, uh, Alex Sulkin, who got a job at, uh, the Craig Kilborn show and moved to Los Angeles for it. And he moved up the ranks there pretty quickly. And, uh, he, uh, he helped a, a few of us, uh, friends back in New York, um, submit jokes to that show sort of facts in but i think we were emailing by then uh but you still called it faxing and i started getting jokes on the show and that's really exciting especially when you know everything else might feel like a little stagnant like all of a sudden oh my gosh i i, I got a joke on and i didn't know before so i'd have to like watch it or tape it and then i you know i'd usually try to stay up and watch it when i submit it and i was just like whoa they just did my and it was just like uh, you know, it's uh, the greatest feeling um, when that first happens. Um, so, you know, it, that, in that way, it became more of a uh, more of a thing in my head. You know, it was more like, oh, th- th- I can do this too, and this might make me happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always, I still do stand up, and I love it, um, and I'm still trying to hustle for more stage time and uh, writing jokes. You know, but I think my I think my bread and butter will be writing and. Uh, it's just funny that it never, you know, it didn't really, it slowly occurred to me. Mm-hmm. So when you were, when you were writing, uh, faction jokes for the Kilborn show yeah. and you'd never probably written monologue jokes before that, what were you, what, what how'd you even begin doing that? Like, what was even your thought process in starting writing the jokes? Gosh, it was a long time ago. So I don't, I don't know. I think I, I really don't know that I can tell you what my thought process was with that. You know, I think I probably watched it. Uh, I don't know whether they sent out premises. I don't think so. So, yeah. I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, I, I'm, i uh, you know, there's different types of comedians. Uh, there's, like, the storytellers and the joke tellers, you know, and some combination of. And I've always been a joke teller. Uh, so I would get off stage, and a lot of times I get feedback like, hey, great writing. <laughs> No, it's like, oh, thanks. Um, anything else you want to say? Uh, no? Okay. Uh, so I guess I uh, I guess I already had a knack for writing short, punchy jokes, which is what monologue is, you know? Uh, so I don't know what my thought process was, but I think I've already honed the skill doing stand-up. Mm. Yeah. As like a more of a joke teller, do you find yourself burning material quickly? Well, it, it, I mean, in like stand up wise, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me to do, yeah, and it's hard to remember, even if you're doing a seven minute set, like, you know, it's just hard to remember everything because not everything can be clumped into groups. There's all these little outliers, and, and, you know, to do it like Brian Kiley, who was a, a, a friend, uh, pretty much responsible for getting me the Conan job, uh, and, uh, you know he he's a, he's a short uh, 
joke guy. You know, he's a joke guy and uh, a lot of brilliant jokes. And, you know, he does, you know, these longer sets. Uh, and he's like, it, I got to do like 113 jokes to fill up, uh, you know, uh, uh, 45 minutes or a half hour, wow. you know? Yeah. So whereas other people can just do like, you know, I'm going to do, uh, you see their set list and it's like five, you know, five jokes for a half hour, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I wish I could do that, but I, I always seem to get in trouble with that, uh, when I do for stand up. So I'm, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of gotta be true to myself and, uh, stick with the short jokes. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Conan, you worked on the tonight show with Conan O'Brien. Uh, how did you get that job? Um, well, um, what happened was, uh, I guess to go a little further back, um, you know, I, 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 I basically was, I, I fell into a job in advertising because of an audition where it's going to sound strange, but, um, they were looking for, uh, wait, do I have to go for this far back? I feel like, okay. When I was born, I had all my fingers and toes, but what happened was no. All right. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to skip that part. Anyway, I was working, somehow I wound up in a job in advertising. And, uh, where it was, uh, it was very, uh, rewarding in a way that stand up wasn't at the time. Whereas people like, oh, I was like a little superstar at this agency. The head of the agency loved me. And, uh, I, by the way, that what I was going to tell you is like, I got it through an audition, uh, which is like, I didn't like go to school for it or anything like that. So it was like really crazy the way I got it, but, uh, we'll skip that story. Uh, and, uh, but I, I, I wasn't happy there. Like I was, I was writing, you know, I was writing like commercials stuff that got on TV and you know, people, I had a title that was respectable copywriter, but I wasn't happy because it wasn't stand up and I was Mr. Purist. I wanted to do comedy, <laughs> not in such a fucking, you know, not write Aflac commercials. And, uh, did you write Aflac commercials? Yeah. I have. I wrote oh, wow. a few of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really they write themselves. Uh, yeah. Well, with such great characters as the Aflac Duck. Oh, this, and by the way, this is when it meant something. This is <laughs> when Gilbert was doing the voice. Mm. <laughs> and I actually, I actually, uh, would, would have been in a, uh, sound studio with, with Gilbert Godfrey, uh, and I directing him to say stuff like, okay, um, Okay, now the duck's flying through the air. Okay, he's flying, but he's not as freaked out. So maybe okay. Now he's uh, now he's always oh, he's he's, uh, he's spinning now. He's spinning, like, and we're just being there. It was just it was it was ridiculous. Um, oh, and by the way, another side thing. One of the first things I did for this woman whose agency it was is her Gilbert was speaking at her. Her, she got Gilbert because they had the Aflac account and that made Gilbert a lot of money. So she kind of leaned on him to uh, give the commencement speech at this kid's <laughs> sixth grade graduation. Yeah. And I, I wrote jokes for him. <laughs> like, Do you remember a joke that you wrote for that? Oh, gosh, I, I don't. I uh. don't. But, you know, I, it was a thrill again seeing like, you know, after struggling, like even seeing Gilbert do jokes at this fucking, you know... <laughs> bullshit graduation i was like whoa still it was like oh, my jokes coming out of this uh well-known professional right. funny guy's mouth that was cool anyway so wow i uh you you only asked me how i got conan didn't you and <laughs> no, i went is, back this is to, nice i like this i like yeah yeah I, I like to uh i like to build to uh a disappointing climax um <laughs> 
so, but I wasn't happy with it. And, uh, cause it wasn't comedy really. And, uh, basically I was doing stand up and, uh, this show on the Lower East Side called Tell Your Friends that Liam McEnany ran. And I was doing my set. And afterwards, Brian Kiley was there, who's, you know, the head mono guy at Conan. This is in New York. And he's like, hey, uh, great, great jokes. Uh, Conan is uh, looking for some new monologue writers if you want to submit. And I was like, uh, yeah, of course, I'd love to. And at the time, I, you know, I didn't have any representation. So I, I, I I was I was so excited to be able to have to have this opportunity because I really wasn't writing a lot of packets. Uh, now what I did, uh, now what I did, now this is the part I should have told you. Uh, I had a blog that I've been keeping up called "Jokes That Won't Matter Tomorrow," mm. and I did it. I started when I was very dissatisfied with the advertising thing and didn't want to get stuck there. So I, I did it uh, with the intention of uh, being com- becoming a better joke writer. Right. And because I had to do it every day, five, just five jokes every day, monologue type jokes, weekend update, Letterman, Conan, et cetera. Uh, and uh, I would, so I'd, I'd, I'd become better because I put them online, even though, you know, it barely got looked at. It was, st- I was still putting myself out there. So I didn't want to just embarrass, you know, right, throw up crap. And uh, yeah. And then I'd also have a body of work in case anybody ever wanted to see it. So I just, I took that j- short joke skill that I seem to, uh, have, have, uh, you know, and I, I just, I just applied it to monologue writing cause well, that might actually get me somewhere. And yeah, I basically took the, some 50 recent jokes from that blog and that became my Conan packet and that got me the job that kind of changed my life. It was, uh, wow. yeah. I mean, I, it would, it was funny cause I, I submitted it in January uh, of 2009 and I didn't hear back from them until like late April, I think, uh, you know, cause I, I had written off I'm like, well, that was that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I remember getting the call and I was like, just got chills. I, Mike Sweeney, the head writer left the message and I was like, Whoa. and I had a couple of friends that wrote on it, but, uh, you know, they, they, I don't know what they do today, but I mean, I know what Kona would do, but they read them blind, you know? So it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a fair thing and I beat out a lot of people and you know, that's what happens when you're young and hungry, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And then I was, you know, I had friends there, so they were able to, once, once they ripped the names off, uh, uh, you know, the final, the finalists, I guess, um, you know, these guys were able to say, oh yeah, he's, he's, uh, not an asshole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know they read them blind because the monologue team was, when the few times we hired new people, the monologue team was involved, and we were all reading packets behind. So the the your packet was was it consisted of all of the jokes that you just written? Like all fifty were all jokes that you'd written already? I had written them all. Wow! Because they didn't say they didn't say these have to be written from stories this weekend. Obviously, that would have that could have changed things. So in a way, I got lucky there. But still, you know, these were my jokes, and they weren't being. They just they were asking for fifty jokes, and I mm-hmm. I didn't. I made sure not to go too far back on, on the blog um, to do that, you know, and uh, not, not saying it was, I, 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 it was, you know, when I got there, it was, it was an adjustment, you know, but. How do you motivate yourself to like write these jokes that aren't like you're working like another job, you're doing stand up, and then. A serious the, job. A serious job. And then you're like <laughs> writing these uh, jokes every day. Well, I hated my serious job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I was like, I got to do something. I and I was so disciplined. I'd, I'd be on like 
beautiful vacation with my you know a girlfriend and i i feel like i i gotta go to a coffee shop for for an hour or two you know i gotta i gotta do this you know i felt very god i wish i had that discipline now uh, <laughs> uh i guess i could uh but yeah it was just like you know i was getting older and i i just i don't know i i, I didn't because i didn't have a plan b and i think i i invest so much of my uh I had at least then. Oh, I still do. Who am I kidding? Uh, I've asked my self worth in, 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 you know, my, my comedy and that kind of thing. I just, uh, I, I had to do something drastic like that, mm-hmm. I felt. So. And so, uh, Conan uh, was your first television writing job. Yeah. What was that transition like from, like, you know, doing stand up and maybe working like a serious job to now working like in a writer's room? Well, um, you know, uh, it was. I mean, I think the, the it wasn't it wasn't easy, but it, it got easier. Like, uh, you know, I would what I did is, and you know, the T- Conan's Tonight Show lasted six months and change, right? And I got hired two weeks before. And what I did to really torture myself is, I printed out a blank calendar, I used a black marker, black sharpie to put in how how many jokes I got in that day. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, and because uh, I, I to really monitor how I was doing, you know, just that naked truth up there on my calendar. Um, you know, I just, I, 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 I came in early. I, 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 I did my best. And of course, when you're, when you're that tense about it, it, it doesn't help your writing. So I had some, uh, I had some, uh, streaks of of you know where i wasn't getting stuff on and it was terrifying and you know i remember you know i put an x in the uh i put an x in like the day if i didn't get anything on and then i had a few x's and a few more x and i was just like fucking freaking out it was just scary and then one day i hit with five jokes on the show and like i was trembling i was so it was just i was like holy shit <laughs> you know like i uh yeah that was that was amazing so i mean as far as adjusting i just you know kept kept writing and and getting the voice down you know and uh, that's 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 one important thing you just got to remember when you're writing for a show you know you got to half the battle is getting the voice down you can't just like you know i worked for found too and i couldn't give him the same jokes that i gave conan mm-hmm. and i couldn't go over to kimmel and give the same jokes of e- from either of them um so yeah i mean so it took me a little time to just get the voice down you know how to write a joke but i had to write it in the style of conan's voice and so uh this is the tonight show so you move you had to move to los angeles for that job yeah yeah i moved in like uh like i i own nothing i was living in like a sublet illegal sublet I, I i was able to ship like 12 boxes to la and that's all i needed yeah like a suitcase yeah what was that like moving from like new york to los angeles for that i mean i'll tell you it was just it was just exciting like like you know and maybe you know the prestige of the tonight show is what it is now I mean, it's not the johnny carson tonight show but you know it's the tonight show and that was like a it was something everybody knew as, as society gets so fragmented and what we watch and, you know, but at that, you know, at that time, every, everyone knew what the tonight and they still do, but you know what I mean? It was, it was a big deal. So it was, you know, everything about it was exciting, you know, just finding an apartment and like, it just, wow, my life changed instantly for the better. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know. Everything was exciting. And, and, and like I said, fucking nerve wracking, really just nerve wracking at times. So you got there, you said two weeks before the show started. I got there. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, we were just writing jokes and, uh, there was a couple test shows. Mm-hmm. Was there like a lot of discussions about what the show would be now, like how it would differ from the late night show to the Tonight Show? Well, I'm sure they were. I don't think I was privy to them. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the writers who were like, especially uh, the sketch guys, like uh, I don't know that the mono writers' jobs changed that much. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that he wanted to do a longer mono, um, or felt like he should do a longer mono, uh, mono. Um, I think the sketch writers were. Uh, you know they were they were concerned about the direction of the show because uh, I think they had, maybe Conan had started to sort of change some of the humor or the style of the show toward the end of late night, and uh, so I think I think a lot of the guys there felt like you know it's 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 a little more broad. He's going to be a little more broader, a little more presentational, kind of not the stuff that people who you know grew up on Conan uh, think of you know remember you know or, or appreciate about him um but you know you have to cast a wider net at the tonight show right. or else you're you know you're in trouble mm-hmm. of course there was the whole leno thing which uh was a whole other story you know uh factor in this in this that massive epic debacle well what was that like for you as like one of the writers of the show like when when all that stuff oh was oh, oh like uh getting my dream job that ain't taken yeah. ripped from me <laughs> well uh uh um it was it was brutal. It was it was brutal for the writers who had with families that had taken out mortgages. Yeah. It wasn't as brutal for me, but it was heartbreaking for me. And I know uh I, I know it was for everybody there, and Conan included, uh because it was just it was just so crazy. Like there's no sturdier institution in television than the Tonight Show. And all of a sudden all these things happened and uh it you know it it it, like it went back to leno what were those like last couple weeks like when you guys were going off the air and you were still like writing you know making shows every day um they were kind of exhilarating because of the stuff we Mm -hmm. were doing um and exhilarating for me personally because a lot of the jokes were getting quoted it was like you know at the time it was like front page news on the post and daily news kind of thing and you know, so if you wrote a joke that was relevant to the situation we were in, um, acknowledging it, because we didn't acknowledge it at first. Then, you know, I think there was one night we acknowledged it with one, you know, one joke just to kind of test the waters. So, you know, the sketch guys and Conan really made the best of it with uh, routines, uh, you know, bits uh, where, you know, we're, we're giving away a Borgat. And wait, what's the, uh, the expensive Italian car? You know, there were oh, just yeah. below this budget. And, uh, and for the mono guys, I mean, probably just me cause I was, I was new and excited to see my, my jokes in print somewhere, you know? So, but yeah, it was, it but it was also like a, I mean, you know, it was a fucking major bummer. Yeah. I mean, you know? After the Tonight Show ended, you worked on Conan's TBS show. Did you know, uh, at the time that that was like when you were at the Tonight Show, did you know at the time that that show was going to be there and that you were going to have a job? I didn't know. I didn't know uh, at all. And, uh, I would think that I was somebody that was on the bubble because I don't know that Conan really got to know me that well in that first six months. It was, 
it's so crazy. Uh, so no, I didn't know. And, uh, but yeah, I did, I did you know, thankfully get hired and worked there for, you know, five or six years. Uh, but in the, in the, in the in-between time, I got management and I worked on my first award show, two award shows, uh, the VMAs and then the CMTs, Country Music Television Awards, and most importantly, uh, the, the David Hasselhoff roast. All right. And uh, yeah, so I, I was like, my feeling was, oh my God, I finally have a credit maybe people will take me seriously. <laughs> so what can I do? And this one manager showed interest in me. Um, and I, uh, you know, I hooked up with him still with them and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I made the best of it. I just wanted to work. I wanted to work. And, and that was my attitude, uh, throughout, even during Conan, I would work on my hiatuses when I could on roasts on, on, on award shows or whatever, whatever I was able to. How, how do you approach writing for an award show, especially, you know, stuff like the CMT that's like very, you know, very much narrow niche topic, maybe? Well, I mean, you try to know the audience and what's going to fly. And I guess the lesson with award shows is like, I, you know, having worked on several, you kind of know now why everything they mostly suck except for like the Oscars and I feel like the Emmys where they're really well thought out. Like the host especially is really well thought out with like killer jokes and, you know, the, you know, the presenters themselves are, it's, it's always like a mess. You're like, wait, why the fuck, why would you do that? Like you could go, you two could go up there and say anything and you just say these corny jokes, but you know, there's a lot of factors that go, you know, you start out with like these crazy ideas, like, Okay, Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj are going to go up there. They're going to have rip away pants. They're going to start, <laughs> and then it winds up that you know. And then in the end, it's like the nominees for best video, <laughs> like, because because really, it's it, it you know the talent. You have to get the talents okay, but you have to go through their publicist who don't want to take any risks, and and sometimes they see shit like the day of, you know. Uh, even like little jokes, you know, like I, I remember, uh, Luke, Luke Wilson looking at something that I wrote and he, and he was just like, yeah, this isn't me, man. And you know, that's cool. Like it's, you know, I don't want him to say something that's not in his voice, but it's also like, yeah, we've been trying to get you this stuff. And, and then he starts taking out stuff that made the stuff that's in there not make any sense you know oh, yeah and it's like okay um and then i'm like well am i allowed to say hey dude um this, hey, this is, yeah yeah this doesn't make any fucking sense now um uh so going back to conan uh how did the show differ from like the nbc to the tbs days or did it at all um at first i don't think it did differ enough but i think especially now it slowly went back to, I don't know, I guess being more like uh, sketch heavy and silly and not giving a fuck, and which is a nice place to be. And I feel like that happened as soon as I left. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's still, I do still feel like it's 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 such a you know it's such a funny show, and he's he's just, I always, I always sorry if I go on tangents here, right? Yeah. I feel like I take your question and go to eight different places. If I ever <laughs> don't get around to answering your question. Uh, I always felt like if you take every writer from every kind of late night variety show 
every every group of writers and you put them they spend an hour in a room with each other host you know they spend an hour with john stewart they, or, well okay not him right now but uh, you know oliver and 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 um and gordon kimmel like i always feel like the writers will come out being like i think conan was the funniest yeah. like he's just yeah he's just like uh, i don't know he's uh He's 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 always on, which can be exhausting. But you know, it's 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 a like it's a comedic force. You you can tell that too in the in like the documentaries. Oh right, the documentary about him. Right, right. And also like when he goes to like um, this is like the remote bits. Like the I watched someone recently. The uh, we went to Italy with yeah uh, yeah Jordan with Jordan yeah. yeah yeah. And you can just see that he's like always he's always on and he's always doing stuff. But. He's so, he's just so fucking funny, and I, I'm grateful that I had. I was a monologue writer there because I got to uh, monologue guys had a lot of FaceTime with him. We would, we would meet him in the afternoon and go over jokes and, and more and more uh, that would become like just a conversation, you know, like about the news or other shit. Mm-hmm. And then we'd be there before the show, like 45 minutes up until the show time while finalizing the monologue. Uh, and you, you know, you just got to see him warming up for the show and, all the different moods and all the different, you know, riffs and sometimes some fun, you know, insider stories. Uh, but, you know, so we got to, you know, we got to see him when he was like, had a really, he, we were the small audience and it was, it was still funny. And by the way, I, I, I also have to say that fucking Andy Richter too, like, he's just like effortless and he, just effortlessly funny. And also like the only guy that can talk to Conan the way uh, he did uh, really funny. How would you describe uh, Conan O'Brien's voice, like writing for his voice? Oh man, I, it's a voice that I really like. I mean, it's it's silly. It's it's just silly. It it it's jokey. It's absurd. Uh, sometimes it's subtle and slick. I mean, you know, it used to be more slams, and I think it's it became less and less that, uh, especially like you know. In the, in the desk pieces, which were just built for like just slamming celebrities. Um, and, you know, there, there's less of that. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed that, but I can understand why some of that's going away. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's absurd. And it, uh, I mean, I guess uh, that maybe different answers for the sketch and monologue, but mm-hmm. overall it's, it's common. I don't know. It's like, I, I don't, some some of it's like you know you give some jokes, and some of the bits are just kind of candy. You got it, you know, for the audience, mm-hmm. and it's not like anything great. But like, I don't know. I hear a lot of people always like point to Conan as like a big influence, comedy people, and I don't know years from now who who you know who they'll be pointing to. But yeah, uh, Logan Paul probably. Pro- I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's who I'm trying to <laughs> get a packet to these days. Uh, so you worked at Conan uh, for five years on TBS show. What made you five or so years? Something like that. What made you decide to leave? Um, it, it wasn't because I was unhappy. I just, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of had a, an op- I had a newborn baby. I have some family on the East Coast, and then an opportunity came up with uh, with Fallon. And look, it's the, it, it it was the number one show until I got there. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, and so it, it seemed like seemed like the right move at the time. So I packed up my family, 
and came back to New York. Uh, so before Fallon, you also I, I love New York. I actually like LA too a lot. Mm-hmm. I have no, you know, I feel like it's probably inevitable that I'll wind up back there someday. But mm-hmm. trying to make a go of it back here. Mm-hmm. Both play. I think it's weird that people feel so strongly one way or the other because they're both very nice places. Yeah, they're both cool places to live. I mean, yeah. frankly, where else am I going to live? I mean, mm-hmm. my wife's from Sydney. Maybe we can go back there someday. Yeah, but, you know. Uh, before you, you went to Fallon or maybe during you, or while you were at Fallon, you were for Triumph's election watch. Yes. Yes. How did that come about? Uh, well, I, you know, it's Smigel and, uh, I worked really hard to get on Smigel's radar at, uh, at Conan, you know, like the mono guys would never go and do a remote with him. Like he would do like one or two remotes a year for the TBS show. But, uh, and you know, it was always a sketch guy that would go wherever he went and help, you know, helped him out. Uh, but I, I felt like he didn't really know me, but I would love it when it was like, okay, uh, triumph is going to go, uh, to Chicago to the wiener circle and he needs jokes. And, you know, having that roast writer in me, I was just, I, I would just, you know, work so hard and, and have such fun writing those type of jokes. And, uh, and, Eventually, I, I just kind of got on his radar to, uh, you know, that he would be, reach out to me for, for other stuff. And, uh, you know, he's been, you know, it's been cool that I got to write for uh, some of the some of the uh, Triumph uh, election stuff. And I actually got, that was the only time I won an award was the Writer's Guild uh, Award for that, thanks to Smigel. How do you approach writing jokes for uh, Triumph? Because he's got a very specific, very specific voice. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, you just get the voice in your head. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think I've been pretty good about <clears throat> getting, getting, writing in people's voices, especially writing submissions. So I'm back to that stuff now. Um, sorry, a little tickle in my throat. That's fine. <laughs> um, you just get the voice in your head. Like I, I, you know, now when I, if I'm submitting to a show and I already had Triumph's voice in my head. So I'm, you know, you're even like acting out, like, in your head, you're actually doing that voice. Like, ah, that's what you think. You, you know, mm-hmm. like you kind of actually doing the voice. You're reading it as him. And I do that with others. If I'm writing a Colbert packet, I'm, you know, I'm writing, I'm kind of have his voice in my head and not just like yeah, literally in figure. Well, not, you know, I'm, I'm really hearing the words come out of his mouth. You kind of just imagine mm-hmm. that. And sometimes like I'll, I'll, like I didn't need to do that with Triumph, uh, because I knew his voice pretty well, you know, and so I can snap into it. But like for other packets, maybe if I wasn't as familiar with the person, like I would watch their some of their stuff like over and over again. Like I wrote a submission for Michelle Wolf, and I watched a lot of online stuff. I watched your HBO special twice, um, and it was all for nothing. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I just that's how I try to mm. really make it. Uh, get in there through osmosis. Mm-hmm. So, so for this, you wrote jokes about Trump, and you, you're obviously a monologue writer, so you wrote in a lot of jokes about probably politics and Trump in the last couple of years. Well, um, yeah, for, certainly for Triumph, but mm-hmm. and, and certainly in submissions and stuff. But uh, luckily, I have it. And of course, my fucking Twitter feed, like everyone else's, is a lot of Trump now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, luckily, I haven't had anything that I've had to like. I say luckily, I mean, I, you know, I say that and I'd be thrilled to, you know, work at Colbert or Seth Meyers tomorrow, but, uh, if you guys are listening, um, but, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a little bit of a curse. Like, uh, fucking Trump has turned us all into, like, Mort Saul, you know? It's, oh, yeah. It's like we're all just ranting, and uh, that's a, it's a, I think it's a bummer. Yeah, I mean, how do you think comedy has handled Trump? I mean, I think it's it's like we're enjoying seething over him together. We get something out of it, and, and, and comedy is the sharpest, sometimes the sharpest knife we have to do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's not really changing any minds or really doing anything. But then again, I'm not one to think that comedy has to fucking move any conversations forward or, you know, it can. Great. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I, thought, I think the first job is to make people laugh. Right. You know, and if it makes you think, awesome. If it's cathartic, cool. But it's not funny. Why are we calling it comedy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So you mentioned working at... That's uh, my statement. <laughs> Please don't quote me. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, working at Fallon. How'd you get that job? Uh, you know, I met somebody there on a trip to New York with my wife, my pregnant wife, and uh, not the other one. And uh, yeah, they kind of reached out to me, say, hey, uh, you know, um, you ever want to, you know, submit or make a move over? And I was like, well... And I just immediately said, no, I'm cool. And uh, then, you know, started thinking about some other stuff, My, you know, with the baby and the East Coast and my future. And, uh, you know, so my wife was like, oh, you should, maybe you should think about it. And, you know, Stacona was so great. I was so happy there. But, you know, all these things together made me think. And I, uh, yeah, so I mm-hmm. kind of uh, then was contacted again. I was like, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. It's really one of the most agonizing decisions in my life. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you uh, approach writing monologue jokes in general? Oh man, you know it's funny when you do something so much. It's hard to step back. I feel like I, I, it's like uh, how do you tell me what your what's your approach to opening doors? <laughs> like um, I guess I think I. At first, I, I kind of I size up the the door itself, and I think does this do I push it in or do I pull it in? Uh, I mean, I it's per, it's really the perfect thing for me because like I have a short attention span, and I just like to for a monologue type writing job, I like to have a bunch of premises on the page, and I just flip from one to the other. I like one. I wrote on this premise, I bold it, I put it at the top, I'll probably come back and chisel away at it, change it, beat it, but then I'm back, you know, floating around between, you know, 20 premises, uh, trying to take a stab at this one for a minute, uh, and then I go to this one for two minutes, if I get stuck, and then I go back. It's just, I'm really just like uh, scrolling up and down the page, and, uh, you know, uh, gosh, it's almost like whack-a-mole, whatever catches my eye. I try to fucking find a, you know, I slam, I try to slam it, a punchline into it. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, of course the voice of the, uh, you know, the host or whoever, I have to work within those parameters. Um, so I don't know if that's really a helpful answer. I mean, you know, there's, it's not really a good technical answer. I well, guess. Maybe, well, maybe, what, what are like the hallmarks of a good monologue joke? Well, uh, one that most everyone will get, and that can be frustrating. So I like to do jokes that only fifty percent of the people get. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, and actually that's kind of hard now because we're kind of really fractured as, as like our, what, what gets our attention is, is, is not, uh, the same anymore. You know, it used to be like, you know, three channels and, you know, newspapers that had the same stories. And now, you know, there's so many eyeballs are split between so many things. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just, just getting something that everyone, everything is agreed upon is important. You know, like you can't go and say, uh, uh, Donald Trump is hot. A joke that kind of says, wow, he's sexy because no one's going to, what? Uh, or, and you can't reference. That'd be kind of funny though. If, you, if someone just like yeah. did a joke where the predisposition is that Donald Trump is hot. Right. I think Alex Jones is doing that right now, but we can't, <laughs> unfortunately we can't hear him. Uh, but there's, a, but, but there are, there's all, okay. So you got to agree upon that. There's also, uh, you know, the, the reference, if it's a, if it makes any reference, like you can't can't be if it's too specific you got to be able to set it up quickly you know but if it's like a kind of an old reference uh like if someone says like you know it's like laverne and shirley reboot like you know you're not gonna people aren't gonna get it so you know so that's that's one thing kind of gotta keep in mind um trying to think uh what makes a good monologue joke, right? That was mm-hmm. the question. It's got to be tight. It's got to be surprising. Most people have to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's kind of it. <laughs> Again, I, mm-hmm. I'll figure it out when I start teaching a class. How about that? I don't want to give it all away now. Do you have a, a favorite or maybe like a memorable monologue joke from, you know, from whenever? You know, it's amazing that I don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Here's one. Here's one. Here's one that got. Re- this is interesting. It got rejected. Conan didn't take it, which you know always makes me pull my hair out crazy. Uh, and then I actually put it in. Uh, I you know I had to send Fallon sample jokes. Uh, I sent him like five pages of jokes, uh, and then I got it on Fallon's Tonight Show. So it was uh, something. Let me let me think how it went so I don't screw it up. Um, uh, the word photobomb has been added to the dictionary. Um, it, uh, the dictionary didn't want it, but it just showed up and, and ruined it. I didn't say it right. Cause I, yeah. My no, no, that makes, I mean, yeah, it's it, 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 something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, it's been added to Webster dictionary. No one. Yeah. So, something like that. See, mm-hmm. I can't, again, even one joke that I was particularly proud of, I, <laughs> they're they're so that's why i call that that blog i had that's you know i'm now hitting uh jokes that won't matter tomorrow these right. are all these are all disposable there's no i can just go and you know mm-hmm. use them for stand-up or anything else does that feel weird to you like writing like material that's in- intentionally disposable um no no yeah. it's it's good it's it's you know you have to just you have to uh have to be really prolific and not get so attached you know because you got to write you know the late night shows i mean they're they're it's you know they're fast food factories you know Mm -hmm. you're churning those out every day those jokes are burgers you're just flipping them and trying to make everyone damn good but you can't spend too much time making the master burger Mm -hmm. you know because you need a lot of them uh so you mentioned earlier but you've been um you've written for many roasts uh Including the most recent one with uh, Bruce Willis that aired uh, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so you got started with that with the Hasselhoff roast. Yeah, which was really a, a huge thrill too for me. Yeah. 
are when you do these are you mostly writing for like the non-comedians on the dais yes yes uh you are uh you're writing for the martha stewart's and the hulk hogan's and the uh yeah um civil shepherds and such uh and then maybe some of the comedians take the scraps that are left over but uh yeah you're you're and it's something that i i certainly forgot in the beginning and i always have to sort of relearn uh when you start write when you go in there and start writing because in your mind there's there's all these you know there's these you know there's this dais or there's part of the dais and some still to be booked and you're kind of writing just jokes that almost like a sharp comedian would say, mm. you know, at least I do. I always kind of forget. And you know, they, they can be used and some of them are like, you know, quick enough to be, to be used, uh, by, you know, an actor, but some of them really need a professional to deliver them. You know, like you can't be, uh, you know, writing, you know, like, well, let's use a, a example of a late Greg Giraldo who had, you know, was awesome and had a very specific voice. Like anybody would love to, any comic would love to write for, for him, but you know, uh, you know, Clarice Leachman or what isn't going to, you don't give her the same shit you're giving Giraldo, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but in the very beginning, when you start working on them, like the first week, it's, it's, you, you just do, you do just write jokes and not, not think about whose voice they're coming from. You just write jokes. Mm-hmm. everybody what makes like a good roast joke um a good roast joke uh i guess i guess it has to feel mean in a really funny way Mm. like it could be mean and sometimes they do hit and they just feel mean uh but if they're funny it's sort of like it's more it's more for well not forgivable because this is a roast and you're in that it's a totally different context um so yeah that's that's again a really simple answer but uh, uh, mean and and funny uh you really want to like slam uh, you know slam the other guys mm-hmm. uh yeah. Have you ever pitched a joke that was deemed too too mean? Um, I feel like I feel like they've. You might not feel this way watching the Bruce Willis roast if you're the casual observer, but I think they're a little more uh, restrained lately. Oh, really? Maybe a little bit. Because I thought they were, they were pretty mean to Bruce Willis. I thought. Yeah, yeah, but I guess I guess the vulg- Sometimes there's like you know because we'll read our own jokes in the room in front of every, all the other writers. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you'll see a joke that's just kind of like vulgar and you're like, oh, you know, like, oh, like this is just, that's just vulgar, right? you know? And again, maybe if it's vulgar and funny, uh, maybe, you know, that's a, that's a, it's a different story. If it's more vulgar than funny, eh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. So it, 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 yeah, funny makes it all forgivable and, and granted, you know, take these jokes out of context and they're, they're so offensive and you know martha stewart might not have a career anymore she might, <laughs> she might be back in jail um but i don't know i always think of it as like west world in a way it's like this is this is a very specific place mm-hmm. where we get it you can't can't go around you know doing the things saying the things out there you say in here uh but in here it's all good fun which is what is important you know yeah, it's interesting because like uh, comedy today, I feel like there's a there's a lot of pressure on people to not um, transgress, I guess, or say something that could offend. 
Yeah. And, and uh, the roast is like the one place where it's like anything goes. Do you ever feel like a pressure to, to like step back or is, is that not even on your mind really? Um, Like in the writing? Yeah. No, I, uh, I don't. And I don't think we, I think that would be like crippling to try to do that. I think, mm-hmm. I think I don't even, I don't even think I write the, like the meanest jokes. Like I, you know, uh, to be honest, uh, I mean, I do write some that are pretty mean, some that I wouldn't even repeat here that got on the show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I was curious to see if there would be any blowback in there. You know, I think there was some people noting a joke here or there that was like, that's not cool. But that, it, which is so silly because, okay, that joke wasn't okay, but <laughs> this one was, and this one was. And like, if you, like, honestly, you t- you tweet these jokes, like, Naked, no context. Uh, uh, you know, it, it would be a career ending, especially today when everyone's you know ready to end your fucking career over a joke. Right. You know, it's a weird. It's a really weird time, and mm-hmm. it kind of. Some ways it's good. Some ways it's bad. I don't know. Yeah, it feels well. I mean, specifically lately, it's been like people very nakedly doing it to like like the alt right coming for people who are like Trump criticizers, which is like. That's like such right. a mind fuck. That's like horrible. Yeah, that to me, I mean, I mean, look, people have like uh, people that are celebrities and have shows. I mean, they have more to lose than me. You know what I mean? Like no one's no one's even keeping tabs on me. I can I can get away with it. But you know, if you say something that people deem over the line, or or you know, a, a group decides to uh, rally and try to get you fired and. You know, you might have to just give a bullshit apology. I mean, yeah, like I mean, I know it sounds like I'm talking to someone specific, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I I'm not because I know nothing of that. But uh, yeah, it's it, it it's a scary time for comedy. I don't I don't like it. I uh, mm-hmm. I think I think there are some like I think there are, there's been some progress made on the kind of jokes that are unacceptable now. Like you don't see late night jokes doing uh, gay jokes, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't. Uh, they don't do a joke about someone straight and call them gay as if that's a bad thing. And and, and that's probably well, I will say there's been some Trump uh Putin gay jokes lately. Right, right. Which is which and, has been odd to see. Yeah. And there's been that was even some late night, but also like the New York Times comedy section, they're doing a comedy thing and they did that. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. I mean it's it's kind of a case by case thing, I guess. But I also, at the same time, like, if you look at, like, you know, that content, you know, like, the roasts themselves, like, there are, you know, even though I say they're, you know, they've reined it in a little bit, you know, every the things are really, uh, you know, the things that are said are, are, are sexist and racist and, and mm-hmm. mean and ageist and et cetera. But I don't know if you're able to laugh at yourself a little bit. I mean, I guess, you know, isn't that okay uh i don't know but i guess you know yeah you, you can't choose who's gonna laugh at themselves mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's like a big it's a big issue right now in comedy mm-hmm. what what you're you know what you're allowed to say and what you're not yeah and then there's like the joke which i i feel like might be on the run you know the joke the what joke you... just the joke oh yeah that's what i love about the roast by the way i feel yeah. like even though it like snoop dog delivers a killer line like 
I don't know. I feel like the jokes are king there. Yeah. You know no, what I mean? 100%. More than other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll get like late night shows, you know, quoted and stuff. But mm-hmm. but those things, because they're infrequent and they're jokes that you don't see anywhere else any time of the year. Because, again, because of the culture and, and, and you know, some of them, yes, rightfully so, shouldn't be said mm-hmm. uh, out of that context. But, yeah, so it's nice that, you know, those those roasts really spotlight jokes. Yeah. And, and you know... If I can say another thing on that, like I, I watch, like I, I haven't done, I haven't done a roast battle, uh, but you know I've seen these, uh, these, these people that do them, and they're really way meaner than you know, and more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what happens is, you know, they get together beforehand, and they go over, they share information on each other that can be fodder for jokes, and then you know some of that information is used, and some of it's really dark. But it's so funny that the the target you don't you don't see people and, and granted they're 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 they have thick skin they know what they're in for they 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 kind of you know give a nod of respect like okay that was a, that was a fucking good one right but yeah you can't choose who's going to uh, to be that way but uh, yeah I don't know I guess I'm I guess I do uh, get down about like how how sensitive things are and mm-hmm. how uh, like joke you know. It's tough to even complain about that because then you get kind of I don't know because obviously I probably had just ended my career. Did I say too much? <laughs> Edit this whole block out <laughs> because so some of it is is very good, and then some of it you kind of think, well, yeah, it's like a step like too far, limiting stuff. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I think like the I don't know. It's just like watching the roast and seeing like the things that are terrible getting belly laughs there it's undeniable that they're funny right and you don't see people crying afterwards and you don't see groups in an uproar over certain jokes that they would be if they were tweeted out i don't know it's interesting it's yeah what's been your favorite uh, roast to work on well i mean the hasselhoff one was great because it was my first one so yeah. there's that like first week uh, f- first uh one magic that you feel like just so happy and elated to uh, be part of uh and then i i did enjoy the rob lost uh, rob low uh roast mm-hmm. um i got a lot of stuff on there by different people where it's like this this is just selfish like thinking of of my neediness as a, as a comedy writer <laughs> like the, rob, the the bruce willis one i i you know i got a respectable amount on but it was like all consolidated with like between like three people three or four yeah. oh yeah uh do you have a favorite roast joke that you've ever written oh my gosh uh yeah, but I, I again, I don't know that I want to say, say them yeah, out, of, yeah. out of context. Uh, I, I I'll say I liked one that I I wrote for Dennis Rodman that uh, he screwed up but got cleaned up in editing. <laughs> I guess I can say this. Uh, and again, this isn't like a hard vulgar joke, yeah. and I and I like writing these kind of jokes too. And uh, they're harder to get in, I guess. So it's a joke where he said, uh, um, "Bruce, you may you're making so many bombs. You make so many bombs." Uh, so so does Kim Jong Un, but at least he has the good sense not to release his. <laughs> oh yeah, I, and I actually do remember thinking like, oh, he kind of messed up that joke. Well, he said, uh, but this isn't my favorite; just one that yeah. popped in my head. Like mm-hmm. he he said, uh, Bruce, you keep making these bomb movies. So does Kim Jong Un, and I'm like, it doesn't make sense now. <laughs> it doesn't the joke. And then there was like articles of like that people were booing him and that joke, and they quoted that joke. I'm like, but the way he said it, like. 
No, that doesn't make. Why are you quoting a joke that doesn't make? You should be writing an article that say this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. <laughs> what was he trying to say with this joke? Kim Jong Un is he making movies now too? What the fuck? <laughs> All right, now I'm now I got to think about have I ruined my career by saying anything wrong now? Have I uh, <laughs> have I done anything? I need to hear all this first. Uh, I'm a good guy. I'm easy to work with. Uh, I have uh, a child and two cats. Um, <laughs> very loving. Uh, what would you like to be doing next? Um, I would. I mean, I'm pretty much open to a lot of things. Uh, I mean, I. I'd almost love to write for politicians. Uh, I mean, that's a weird one, but like, because I think we are in like pretty dangerous time. I'm one of those people that is, uh, you know, things is pretty fucking serious what's happening. And uh, and I feel like these politicians, like I always felt like Hillary needed a fucking comedy writer, mm-hmm. you know? Well, she made that, that Funny or Die video. Or she didn't make it, sorry. No, Lena Dunham made the video on her, like, for her campaign. Oh, I don't even recall that one. Uh, it's, it's bad. Yeah, but you know what? It, it, it doesn't matter. That's Lena Dunham. We know she can do funny stuff and, uh, mm-hmm. or not funny stuff. We all hit and miss. But, but Hillary herself, like, you know, like these politicians, I mean, honestly, Trump was fucking funny at the debates. When it was, we all thought he was still a joke or no chance. It was still funny watching him call, give people nicknames. I mean, you know, he's like the hate. The, like I love Rodney Dangerfield, and in a way, he was like Rodney walking into the to the party where everyone's drinking with their pinky up. But he's also, a, you know, a vulgar racist. So uh, you know, it, it, it stopped being, uh, you know, uh, stopped chuckling at it. But I do feel like you know some of these some of these people running need some fucking snappy lines yeah and that that will hit and they're not gonna you know i don't know i don't know if they're gonna get it from their staff uh so i i wouldn't know even how to do that but uh you can uh dm me on twitter if you're uh running for office hillary clinton um but yeah i mean you know there's there's plenty of great shows out there i mean i like seth myers i think is great because he's i feel like he's the best of both worlds um like, you know, you get political and you get silly. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, working on my own stuff and trying to, you know, write longer pieces than, you know, two lines, <laughs> <laughs> which is challenging. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap up okay. uh, with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea. Okay. So uh, I spent an hour talking about jokes and you want to throw me a sketch idea. No, it's okay. <laughs> I've written some sketches. Come on. Give it to me. Um. So you know how on Twitter, when a tweet goes viral, uh, someone will respond with like, uh, since you're all here, check out my SoundCloud or something like that? Yes. Like, you know that trope at least? Yeah. So wait, wait, wait. So so on Twitter, they, they they show you a video and then at the end they say that? No, no, no. So that, you know like when a tweet goes like viral, like some like somebody has a tweet go viral, then they respond and saying, while you're all here, check out my SoundCloud. Oh, I actually didn't know that. but It's okay. kind of like a, it's like a, maybe more of a trope than a real life thing anymore. I think okay. it used to be what people used to do a lot. Yeah, okay. Um, so this would be like that in real life where it'd be like a doctor patient and he's like, I have your test results. Uh, but first, could you listen to my blues album? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's funny. Yeah. I like it. Um, I, uh, yeah, I guess uh, as long as people, again, it's that the people know that's a thing. I mean, I didn't, yeah. but you know what? I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm chasing around a two year old a lot these days. Mm-hmm. So what the <laughs> fuck do I know? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. sounds funny to me. If people knew it, I don't know how long it could go, but, uh, right. 
you know, could be like a, like a, a piece of it and other self-promotional stuff, uh, added in, like just the idea of like, I'll give you my results, but first you got to do something for me, right, you know? Right. So maybe it's not just that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, maybe wash my car or something uh, right. funnier than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That makes right. sense. Yeah. Cool. I'll, it'll be in my next packet. <laughs> All right. Cool. Anything you want to plug? Um, I'm going to be on this, uh, uh, Alan's podcast soon in a couple <laughs> weeks. Uh, no, just, uh, I guess follow me on Twitter uh, at Josh Comers, um, uh, you know, Twitter's algorithm, uh, seems to really hate me. And, uh, so it would be really cool if you guys could like follow me. Um, that'd be awesome. And, uh, you know, if you ever see me live, you know, um, laugh and, uh, enjoy yourself. Oh, that's it, man. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.